Hello, Rory. Welcome to Man Overboard. Thank you so much for joining. Massively appreciate it as always. Um, I thought we'd kick off a little bit, maybe a bit of a deep question. So obviously I've seen you on the kickoff. I've seen your own channel as well. Fantastic football content. But my question to you is, how did you manage to get into that position? Like I know you did a lot of acting before the kickoff uh, and you're in a few TV shows and stuff, but what led to you becoming one of the biggest football personalities on YouTube? <laughs> um, firstly, thank you for having me. And that's an incredibly generous and kind introduction. So I appreciate, uh, I appreciate that. To be totally transparent with you, mate, I've, I got so lucky. I completely fluked it. There was, um, there was a period in my life where I didn't really know what I was doing. And I just happened to get very lucky, be in the right place at the right time and, um, and get an introduction into this football YouTube space. Um, I was working for a company called Fremantle Media who basically make every comedy entertainment show that you would think of off the top of your head. Celebrity okay. Juice, The Apprentice, Britain's Got Talent, Britain's Got More Talent, The X Factor, whatever kind of uh, springs to mind. The, the, very, uh, the very typical Saturday night show is what they would make. And I was working on a series of Britain's Got Talent not really loving it and all the time I was working on that show down the corridor I could hear these people formulating this football channel network thing they were talking about needing Chelsea fans they were talking about needing Manchester United fans Does anyone know any and I could hear this going on in a sort of different different building and I basically just went in there I just went look what I mean this fully respectfully but what on earth are you lot doing and by the end of that day, I'd pretty much given up on the job that I was on and started a new job. But it was just timing, just incredibly, incredibly fortunate uh, timing and good ears, good ears. I could hear things that weren't intended yeah. for, for me at all. Yeah, so in a way it was right place, right time. So what was that job that you initially went into then in football? Was that the kickoff or was that a different role? No, no, no. It was a long time before the kickoff. So are you a YouTube, are you a football YouTube Chat. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan right. of a lot of the football so YouTubers. A long yeah. time ago, I don't know if you can remember, there would there was a network of of club specific channels. So there was there was a Tottenham channel called Spurred On. There was a Chelsea channel called Chelsea Fans Channel, a Manchester United channel called Full Time Devils, yeah, and and then a sort of agnostic umbrella channel that everybody fed into and would receive from, called the Football Republic, that had no allegiances but would work with everyone okay interestingly that led on to my friendship with the true geordie because yes in order to build this agnostic channel they needed a big youtuber with real gravity in the space with a personality with a following who could build this channel they had budget he had an audience two and two made a christmas cake so my initial introduction to working with Geordie was at Fremantle when they were trying to build this channel, but I was brought in to produce the Chelsea channel, which was called Chelsea fans channel, which is now not far off a decade ago. So it was, wow. yeah. So I was the producer on it and our main presenter was a girl called Sophie, who I think still operates in the football world as well. But she was at one point, she was very well known in the football space. 
Yeah, I mean, that's amazing, to be fair. Did you ever envisage earlier on in your career that you'd have a role within football? I know you've always been a big football fan. Uh, was that something you'd plan to do or did you always plan to stick down a more like traditionally like acting or whatever previous thing you was doing before that? I, I always liked the idea of working in sport. Like when I, was, when I was very young, I'm talking sort of university age, if not before, I was quite keen on trying to work in sport radio. And I, and I, it's weird because it's gone full circle with me now because I'm fortunate enough to actually do that. But when I was very young, I would, I've, I wrote to all of the people that were involved. So at the time, like James Whale was very big on Talksport. I wrote to him. I wrote to a number of, a number of people trying to get on to sport radio. But then, my life kind of veered away from that, and I never thought it were possible. You know, I was working in comedy entertainment, something that I'm, I'm so disassociated with like gen genuinely like yeah I'm so, I, I wouldn't recognize harry styles in the street i honestly wouldn't recognize him i don't know i don't know who you know the girl that sung at the champions league final and got annoyed because liverpool fans oh yeah i think was it camila, camila cabello i yeah, think i don't have a clue right i i kind of i'm so detached from it which is weird because my wife who i met while working tv she still works in tv and she's very across celebrity culture and whatever and it's painful for her to have a conversation with me because you know, when you ask me about sort of celebrity, I'll immediately go, well, Leslie Ash, and, and I'll start talking about Naomi Campbell or Noel Gallagher yeah. and, and mm -hmm. Kate Moss, whereas there's an entire, you know, because that's who I kind of knew as being famous. But in terms of now, I've got no clue whatsoever. But I got very lucky. So I left that, ended up working in football. It was definitely not a strategy. I was never, I wish I had more of one of those, but... Uh, but no, it's just a fortune, just a fortunate series of events, really. Yeah, I think maybe not having a strategy probably played a big part in leading to where you are at this point. Would you say there's a big difference then? Obviously, you mentioned this is one thing I wanted to talk about anyway. Working in a TV uh, in football radio uh, in comparison to football YouTube, I imagine the radio world is so different. I, I've never even been into a radio studio and, and the setup there or how that would work. How does that differ from talking about football on YouTube, especially I imagine the social comments and stuff on YouTube are, are probably up there? What's uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. There's obviously a huge difference between 90% of football channels, my own setup and talk sport, for example. There's obviously absolutely no overlap there. But see see the kickoff. See what, what Brian has established, the true Geordie has established with, with the kickoff. I mean this like totally, totally honestly. There is very little difference from the kickoff to talk sport. Like the, the production values working on talk sport are elite. It's the very best you could you could hope for. You know, the the equipment, the people, it's all absolutely tip top. But Brian has emulated that. That isn't the case on YouTube. Most YouTube is a little bit rough around the edges and rogue. And I think that's part of the beauty of it. My own YouTube mm. channel, for example, for, for well over a year, everything was shot on a phone. I'm yeah. balancing the phone on my kid's toy car. Like that's where it started. But no, I would say the 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 upper echelon of YouTube is now as professional as any TV production company. Look, I don't know this for a fact. I honestly don't know this for a fact. But my guess is if you were on a Max Foss shoot, it wouldn't be dissimilar to being on a BBC shoot. 
I imagine yeah, did, you would get that, Did that surprise you when you first came into YouTube? We spoke to Ellie about this the other week, um, about like the YouTube production quality and how a lot of people might not realize, especially like as you, you mentioned, Max Fosh, people like Nico Milana and stuff as well. Some of yeah. their setups must be, if not better than some TV yeah. setups. Nico, Nico I, I, I've met, but we're not. I don't know him well, but I know Sharky fairly well, who's part of the beta squad. Yep. I, I don't, again, I don't know this. I've never had the privilege of being on one of their shoots, but my, my guess would be if you were to be on a, 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 a beta squad shoot, the production value, I imagine that you would get a call sheet the night, the night before you'd have had a production meeting in the week. A car will pick you up that morning. You will be driven to the shoot. The, there will be accommodation, food and water waiting for you. And you'll be treated very well that's the way that I was treated when I was an actor and I was in EastEnders. Do you know, like, and I think mm. the reason that's happened is because just for the record, that isn't YouTube as a whole. I'm talking oh, about, no, I know. I'm talking yeah, about that's that like 1%. Very high that level 1%. YouTubers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Max mm-hmm. Foss, True Geordie, Sharky, Nico, those boys, the, the elite of YouTube. Um, and I think the reason that that's happened is because there is an entire swathe of young people now who consume their popular culture through YouTube. And therefore, YouTube is effectively TV to them. So when I was a kid, I used to get home, put on a telly, I'd watch Nickelodeon. They get in, they put on YouTube. And therefore, because it's TV, YouTube has to up its game. YouTube, not only does it have to, but it can because the money is in the game. The money is there. And a lot of a lot of that top 1% are very aware that reinvesting in their own channel, in their own self, is a self-fulfilling prophecy. You you reap what you sow. So, firstly, the reward is there, and secondly, they have to they have to do that because you know if you think about what the sidemen achieve every Sunday, they get more views on a Sunday than the BBC at prime time. Like, so it has to be good, doesn't it? It has to be that level. Yeah, completely agree. It's crazy to me how far YouTubers come. I've mentioned this a few times on the podcast, but I've gone from watching people where it was predominantly even the better selps were in people's bedrooms like 10, Mm. 15 years ago to now some of the high production value stuff. But uh, moving away from that, one thing I wanted to ask you about uh, in terms of football is the upcoming World Cup. Obviously, it's not too far away now. Mm. A little bit upsetting that it's not going to be in the summer this year. Obviously, last year we had the Euros and it was around this time of year. I think it was actually yesterday was the anniversary of the year. Euros final um yes it was yeah yeah and sunny times everyone in the pier garden having a great time what's your opinion on the not only the placement of the world cup in terms of location but the time of year that it's been switched to this year um I think it's it's not look everything that we know about this world cup is it should be now. It's not good for the football season. We're going to have a condensed season because of the world cup. There are loads of conversations that should have probably happened before the World Cup was awarded to Qatar. There are so many things. And you could drive yourself mad having those conversations. And some people would suggest that I should do that. But I, for me, sports, football in particular, is actually my escape. Right. It's actually... So I'm, what I'm going to try and do, I appreciate that all of those conversations should happen, should have happened. Should it have should it have been awarded to Qatar? Probably not. But that's where it is. Should it be in December? Probably not. But that's when it is. And now I intend to fully embrace and have a brilliant World Cup. I love yeah. tournament football, lads. I love it so much. Prior to my kid being born, I went to 
five tournaments at some point, not the full tournament. I went to five tournaments in a row. I went to Brazil for the full month. I went to France for the full month, despite England pitiful performance in both. <laughs> like, you know, I was, I was, I was in Brazil for a month and England were in the tournament for two games. It, it was a low, it was a new low for English football. We didn't even have to play our third game. We were out before we even kicked a ball in the third group game. It was pathetic, but I was there for the month and I thoroughly love and almost revolve, but certainly before uh, my daughter came along, I would revolve my year around a tournament. I'm not yeah. prepared to just sacrifice. I'm not prepared to, I'm not going to go to this world cup on principle or whatever. And maybe I should, maybe people judge me for that. But when the world cup comes along, I desperately want England to win it. I'll be listening to new order on, on a loop. <laughs> Uh, I'll have a bucket hat on and with a bit of luck, I'll be in Qatar. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a really good way to look at it. I'm kind of in a similar boat of, I know once the World Cup comes around, I'll definitely watch it and enjoy it and appreciate it still. But as you said, there's there's obvious issues with it and, and how it's come about. I think... I think there's been a few things like that in football in the last few years. Obviously, there was the Super League that fans revolted mm. against and managed to manage to stop that from happening at all. But I do think that the World Cup is something where it could have been a similar case, but the powers that be... Just it was it was never going to happen once it had been awarded to Qatar. That was it. What do you think in terms of England's chances at this year's World Cup? Then, when you're watching it, do you think we're going to have a, a good tournament? Do you think we're going to make it to the final again, like we did in the Euros, or it's not going to be as simple this time? No, no, we we won't. We don't have a chance. We don't have a prayer. Uh, I think that the team are good enough. The team are probably the best team. They will be the the best twenty three players to go to the tournament. Will be English overall. The best, like I'm not saying that's the best first eleven, but the best depth will be English. Look at who doesn't get into the England team. Like genuinely, if you want to think about how good this England team are, just you've got at right back, you've got the geezer that won La Liga last year, uh, the year before. You've got the Trent Alexander-Arnold, probably the best of the lot, probably doesn't start for England. You've got the geezer that won the league in England and the one that will start won the European Cup the year before. Yeah, that's how good England's right back is. You know, yeah, like, that's very true. Like there would have been a time when basically, if you were Man United right back, you played for England. Man United right back, Aaron Wan-Bissaka would be about seventh, seventh choice right back. That's how yeah, good true. this England team are in depth. The only shame is that the Man United captain will probably also be playing for England at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he definitely will. I yeah. mean, he he definitely will. There's no. This is the problem again, and this is why I say that we have no chance of winning it because there is no meritocracy to this squad selection. I can tell you the team that will start against USA. Now, yeah, it is. It is a pretty ridiculous. obvious selection it's, it's, with yeah, Southgate. It's, it's it's truly ridiculous. So I don't think we have a chance. But I also think that this is this is the golden generation. Like, I'm old enough to remember the, the the golden generation that they called the golden generation. You know, the team that went to uh, 2002. Um, I was barely around then. Right, so so that's, I, I'll the know team, of the players. but yeah, I the won't team know that went. The well. team that went to uh, the team that went to 02 was seen as a golden generation. It was it was seen as being. Uh, an elite team, and of, and of course it was. You know, it was it was a very gifted team, a team that could have done more, probably should have done more. David Beckham in his pomp, that team beat Argentina. We beat Argentina out in uh, Japan. It was mm. a re- it was a really good team, and it was certainly seen as being one of one of the best that England have ever assembled. This team is better than that. Not necessarily the first eleven, because I think the first eleven of that uh, two thousand and two was. Top draw, but this team is comparable. But in terms of in terms of the bench, just to just to put it out there, like this team that I'm talking about being elite, it was bloody Danny Mills at right back, you know. Whereas right, we yeah, think yeah. about England's team now, so so this is for me an actual golden generation. 
No, I, I completely agree. I think with the talent we have, and especially the, the fitness within the team nowadays as well, compared to a lot of other nations, everyone playing in top leagues around the world, whereas some nations don't have the same privilege as that. They might have some playing, of course, the Portuguese league is good and and like the Brazilian leagues mm. and stuff are okay. But most of our team pretty much play in the Premier League, which in my opinion is the greatest league in the world. Yeah, well, it is, that- it is. If you just look at how many English teams get to the European Cup final year mm. after year. You know, we had an all-English Cup final two years ago, Liverpool in it this year. Um, it it just is. It, in the, it's not an opinion anymore. Like when you say that, you sometimes look slightly conceited. But I don't think it's. I don't think it is conceited anymore. The English league is the the English league has actually become the Super League. Yeah, it's kind of worrying to me. In like compared to the rest of the leagues in the world, I feel like the Premier League might take over a little bit too much. Yeah, like I don't I want it to get boring. The European competitions, of course, there's always going to be Real Madrid, Barcelona, mm. Juventus. But at what point? Can they keep up with our like TV right money, etc.? I don't think they can. Also, you've got to remember, like, look at the Bundesliga. We send our kids to the Bundesliga. It's <laughs> like the way we used to treat the championship. Like, yes, Jada Sancho, Jude Bellingham, go. You, you're not quite good enough for the Premier League yet. Go and perfect your craft, then we'll bring you back. Erling Haaland, go and perfect your craft, then we'll bring you back. The best players in the Bundesliga, Kai Havertz, Timo Werner, right? We're going to buy you. Like that demonstrates the power of the Premier Premier League. Yeah, 100%. I had one last question on the World Cup as well. So in terms of team selection, who are your outside picks to get into the team? If you were if you were Gareth Southgate right now and you were looking at the squad you have to take, maybe even some of those that are going to come off the bench and make a big impact, who would you maybe drop and who would you take along for the World Cup? Okay, a player, look, I think it's very difficult with Southgate because I think he knows his selection already. Mm. So, so it's very unlikely. Like James Tarkovsky, for example, could have the season of his life he could be he could be Premier League Player of the Year, and Everton could go the entire season not conceding a goal. He's not getting in over Maguire because that's how Southgate operates. But a player who I think is going to have a big season and will go to the World Cup and potentially have a decisive role in it is left field. But I think Harvey Elliott's going to have a big season. Right. Yeah, I, mean, I, I wouldn't have expected that call at all, to be honest. I think he's a really good player, mate. If he hadn't been injured, like look at his contribution those first five six games of last season before he got injured. Yeah. He's looking good. If you look at Liverpool at the moment, I think their midfield is slightly... It's not weak, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it's not as strong as it was, and it's certainly not as strong as City's, and therefore there will be opportunities for Elliot because James Milner is 37 or something yeah. like that. Jordan Henderson played a lot of football last year, but I feel like he's coming in, coming to the end because of the way he plays. Naby Cater, I don't think he's good enough. Fabinho is obviously going to start... Thiago Akatara has had injury problems, and I just think this season there will be an opportunity for Harvey Elliott, as there will Curtis Jones um, as well. But I just think Harvey Elliott's, I think he's a player, mate. I think he's a really good player. No, he's definitely one of the best youngsters in that position in the Premier League. Yeah. I believe it was at Ellen Road he got injured as well last season. I think yeah, it I was, was there. It was a good tackle. Yeah. It was very unlucky. It was a good yeah, tackle. no, it oh, wasn't, lads, it wasn't a malicious tackle. tackle. I, I'm a Leeds fan, yes. <laughs> oh, lads, I'm pushing. Oh, you are as well. Yeah, yeah. I always think, I always think that Tim's <laughs> no, a Stoke fan. No, not anymore. No, no, no. I was I am, back in the day. <laughs> I am persona non grata up there at the moment. I said something the other day on social media that did not go down well. <laughs> yeah, I must admit, I remember a season or two ago, you um, you were you were not a massive fan of Patrick Bamford for a few months, and then he turned it on and did really well. And yeah. then, like, all of a sudden, everyone on the internet was loving him, and I was like, really happy to see it because yeah. he went I, from I, being I like hated. Bamford. I do, I do like him as a player. Obviously, he was at Chelsea, um, yeah. but uh, no, where I got it in the neck, I mean, more recently as well. But initially, I just didn't get the Bielsa thing. 
And I know that's oh, I know that's oh, sacrilege. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know that's sacrilege. <laughs> I apologize to everybody listening. I just I just didn't get it. And nor should I, because it was yours. It was it was owned by you. You know, I would if I were to tell you that if I were to start talking to you about the brilliance of Dennis Wise, you wouldn't get it. And nor mm. should you. You know, each club has their own identity, and you know, you sing about Dominic Matteo scoring in the San Siro or whatever. It's got nothing yeah. to do with me. But from the outside looking in. I didn't get Bielsa, but when I voiced that on social media, ooh la la, bad. <laughs> they came down on you. Bad, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lie, though. I think maybe I'd probably get in trouble with this uh, with a lot of Leeds fans, but when Bielsa went, I think it was time for him to go. Like, I think yeah. we were, it was getting to the point we were shipping like four to six goals every game, pretty mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. just slowly sliding down the table. Of course, he's forever going to be a legend. Like, it's the first that he brought the first Leeds Premier League era yeah. that I've seen in my lifetime that's like a real memory anywhere. Yeah. So he's always going to be a legend to me and, and every Leeds fan. But I do think that it got to the point we were injuries all the time, conceding multiple goals every game. And then Marsh came in and did shore up the ship and keep us up. So I, I didn't really have too much of a problem with it. I don't want, I feel like I'm going to yeah. get. Maybe you're, you're, you're about to get trolled, mate. You've taken, the, you've taken the heat off me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so good. It's so good. Um, so, so, so moving on, moving away from the football, getting more into um, yourself and things that you've done in the past. So I just wanted to touch on um, your acting career, as I know you've had, you've had quite a, uh, a couple of roles across a couple, you know, you've had TV shows, you've had movies, you've had TV movies, um, which, which of those would you say was your favorite um, to work in? And, and how did you find, you know, the, the general like outlay of uh, working in those mediums? I mean, be, being an actor was a wonderful life for, for me at that age. You know, being in my mid-20s, early to mid-20s, sort of ducking about London's West End, going for auditions, hanging out with other actors, knocking around a Groucho club till late at night. It was great. It was a wonderful way to live. Um, but it's precarious. It's hard. It's like, I, I, I actually liken it to being a professional footballer. It's the same thing. You know, when you talk about being an actor, you talk about being a professional footballer, Mm-hmm. You, you you immediately think it's a wonderful life because in your head you go, well, Jordan Henderson has a lovely life or Peter Crouch had a wonderful time. Whereas that isn't the true story of being a footballer. And it's similar to being an actor. You know, Tom Hardy has a great time. Dan Kaluuya has a great time. But for most actors who are ducking and diving and nicking an episode on Holby City here and an episode of The Build Air and whatever else, it's it's a hard grind. Like imagine being a professional footballer and you've got, you get a two-year contract at Torquay. So you and your family all go down to Torquay. You get your three kids into school at Torquay. You do two years. Six months before the end, they go, yeah, we're not renewing. So then you go to your missus and go, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is I've got a new club. The bad news is we've all, we're all moving to St. Mirren. <laughs> yeah. And do you know what I mean? You've all got to yeah. go. And in two uh-huh. years from there, they're knocking you on the head and you've got to move to... Halifax and it's a hard life it's a hard life and you're doing all that and you're really slogging and you know that by the time you get to 35 it's probably over you're probably nicking a grand a week at the at the best it's tough and I think acting's like that for the for the for the famous ones for the ones that you can reel off or whatever it's great but it's also quite difficult and when you're 22 all those concerns don't matter because I didn't have a mortgage I didn't want a mortgage I didn't have a wife I didn't have a, a kid so it didn't matter. It was brilliant. You're always going to be all right at 22. Mm-hmm. So, so living that kind of actor's life then was brilliant. But I became aware when I was about 28, 29, that if I wanted, which I always did, 
a little bit of stability. Do I want to be a dad? Yes, I do. Do I want to get married? Yes, I do. Unless you're, unless you're George Clooney, very difficult to do that as an actor because you have absolutely no idea where you're working. You have absolutely no idea if you're ever going to work again. You have absolutely no idea if you're going to ever earn any money again. But at the same, on the other side of that coin, the phone could ring tomorrow. You go for an audition and all of a sudden you're, you're headlining, you're, you're the main actor in the new season of Top Boy. You're a millionaire like that. So it's changed everything. But it's the, it's the lottery of acting that didn't really suit me. But I look back on it so fondly. Mm-hmm. So, so out of out of all the roles that you you played in your time acting, um, which, which would you would you class as your favorite? Like which which which, I which them show? All. You know, or, yeah, I'm trying yeah. to think. I I loved them all. I genuinely did love them all. I think um, like a job that was very good for me was Doctor Who. Like I met some incredible people in Doctor Who. Like the the lady in the so I was in an episode called Idiot's Lantern which was a Mark Gattis episode, brilliantly written, um, loved being in it. And the lady who played my mum was is, is married to a playwright, the guy that wrote Closer, you know, the film with Julia Roberts and whatever, just play. Mm-hmm. he wrote that. And he and I became quite good friends. I played for his football team and through him, it, it, it that was the most kind of life-changing job I've ever had, I think. But I loved them all, like... The, the, the difficulty being an actor isn't working. You know, most jobs, it's going to work. That's the problem. Time off is great. Being an actor, it's the complete opposite. Like I, I loved working as an actor. The problem is that you might not work. And how do you deal with your downtime? And how do you earn money when you're not earning money as an actor? But the acting itself was, was great. But if I had to say one job, yeah, it would probably, it would probably be that. Or... Or I did some adverts for the post office, which don't get me wrong, they're not, nobody's, you know, I didn't win a BAFTA for them, but they were so well paid. So maybe that mm-hmm. was yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Well, I remember, I remember um, watching the episode of uh, Doctor Who that you were in and uh, right. after looking into your back catalogue and then going, oh, bloody hell, there yeah, you yeah. go, that's who it is, yeah. But then um, I also know that you've um, done a music video as well for oh, Chemical, uh, Chemical Brothers. Brothers. Yeah. yeah. How, how did you go about landing that? What, 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 how I mean, did that, that was around about? about the same time. That was around about the same time as EastEnders, you know, um, because it was touch and go whether I was going to have the time to do it. But I really wanted to, obviously, because... Um, Chemical Brothers, iconic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And we managed, me, my agent, and the production team of EastEnders managed to just get me. I think it was all done in a day, so I just needed that one day off. And uh, it was a, a pair of brothers who were the directors. It was really good to do. Um, and I think that might be the most successful thing I've ever done, you know, in terms of, like, that one, I think it won an MTV Music Award or whatever. Like, it was... It was a it was a good video, not yeah. because I was it was a, it was a good video because of the concept and I happened to be in it. Um, but no, that was that was great. And uh, I've had some. I, I remember once I was in the Camden Palace, which is a nightclub around my way, and they played it like they played the song, but they put the video up. That that was a trippy experience. All the, everybody <laughs> in there was just like, "Hang on a minute, what, what, what's <laughs> going on here?" Yeah, yeah, exactly. So no, uh, so yeah, that was quite that was quite. And do you know do you know what that's one. You know, you know, when I think about like all the work I did, like some of it, 
some of it I'm I'm very proud of because I thought it was very good. Certain that certain smaller films. I was in a film called Shifty, and I'm quite proud of that because of the product. And it was made for a hundred grand, and everybody really did pull their weight to to make that film. And it has a great cast: Riz Ahmed and whoever else. And I have a tiny part in that, but I was very proud of that. I was at the National Theatre. I was at the Soho Theatre. I did a lot of theatre work that I was also very proud of. Um, and it's it's quite funny because the thing that you know, I'd love somebody to go, oh my God, did you, are you the boy from that Pinter play? Or are you the boy from, and basically everyone goes, are you, are you that boy that was having an acid trip on a, on a Chemical <laughs> Brothers video? Like, Talking to fish. Yeah, 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 yeah. Were you having a, you having a chat with, with, with um, Nemo? Yeah, that was me. That was me. Um, so yeah, I'd say that is the thing that, that is the thing that is most, that I am most recognised for. They don't recognise me at the time, but you know when people find out, mm-hmm. pe- when people find out, their mind is blown. That was definitely a situation for me as well. When it, yeah. again looking through it, when I went, oh no way! That, yeah, oh, yeah. that yeah, yeah, yeah. That's definitely no, the one. Yeah, definitely. So, is there is there any interest for you to do any sort of acting roles in the future, or are you more set on the career path that you're on now? Or would you take anything up if you were offered it? No, I would take it. I loved it. I loved acting. It's a wonderful life. It's a great like you're telling stories, man. It's a it's a great way to live. But do, do you know what I? <laughs> I didn't, the reason I stopped acting is because I was struggling for work at one point in it in particular. I could have persevered or whatever, but I jumped ship because I, that's, that's a good, I jumped ship, eh, man overboard. Um, But but no, I, uh, I jumped ship because I was worried about work and, and whatever. So there was a time when I was kind of dedicating my life to being an actor. I didn't get enough work. So the fact that I'm now not dedicating my life to it and I'm fully focused on other things, it would be fairly arrogant to think that I could waltz back in and get a job. But stranger things have happened. If I got an opportunity to be an actor again, of course, I would I would bite your hand off. But I'm obviously not holding my breath for that to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You think you're out of that career path yeah. now. And then, but but again, you know, stranger things have happened, exactly. like you say. Exactly. And if it was stranger things, you know, ah, yeah, there we go. Take yeah, you're off. a billionaire yeah. immediately. <laughs> That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, one question I had on that front, actually, and this is this is a, probably a very difficult one. So as an actor, is there any any like films or TV shows that you've watched that you think are like the pinnacle of, of TV or any actors in particular that you think are the pinnacle of acting? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I think Gary Oldman, like the actors I always used to hold in high esteem when I was an actor because I would try and be like them. And mm. now actors who I just appreciate because I have no sort of vested interest. Gary Oldman, Jack Nicholson will always be my sort of favourite two actors. I think Gary Oldman is about as gifted as you can be, and in terms of in terms of exports from this country to the states, I'm trying to think, but I can't really think of anybody that's that's been a more successful export from the UK. Um, Gareth Bale, he won a lot of Champions Leagues, but a different conversation. <laughs> um, so, so Gary Oldman up there. I mean, Jack Nicholson. When I was a kid, I used to just love, love the lunacy of Jack Nicholson. One flew over the cuckoo's nest and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would certainly, certainly be it. But I don't know if there's a recency bias here in what I'm saying. But I think Top Boy is just amazing. I like genuinely do. I think it's so good, and I take a lot of pride in it because I'm a proud Londoner, mm. and it's clever in as much as it tackles a issues about London that that need tackling. So for example, it's all set in Hackney, which is Northeast London. And it somehow manages 
to tackle the gentrification problem of the city, which there is a huge one, by the way. Like you would think that a show around sort of the gangster culture of London would ignore that, but it doesn't. It's brave to to kind of take that on. I think certain performances in it, um, I don't know a name, annoyingly, because uh, I had no idea that we would go in this direction. I love doing podcasts like this because they <laughs> take a completely different turn. But um, <laughs> if, and to anyone who's seen it, there's a character called Jax. I just think she's like dazzlingly good. But I can see a spin-off. Like I reckon, I reckon if this happens, by the way, you have to put this clip out. <laughs> there will be a spin-off. There will be a top girl. Based on her. Yeah, there uh-huh. will be a top girl. I'm convinced. I just mm-hmm. think, look, everybody in it's brilliant. You know, I think Asha D's brilliant. I think Kano's brilliant. But that girl, you know, you know, it's very difficult, isn't it? When you're in scenes with with wonderful actors, but you just steal, steal the scene. Yeah. She seems to do that in virtually everything she's in. I think she's amazing. Yeah, um, I do think that's the sign of a, of a pretty amazing actor. If, if your eyes are always on her when she's on screen, then she's, yeah. she's definitely winning. Yeah, like Paulie Walnuts in The Sopranos, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Like, like you'll always you'll always be drawn to him, like little one-liners from him, whatever. So, um, so, so yeah, I don't. That's that's the thing that I've seen most recently, anyway. That that really captivated me. Like, like generally I'm quite hard to please as well. You know, like everybody will tell me how good Peaky Blinders is. And I thought it was good. I thought it was all right. I enjoyed it, but that was kind of the end of my conversation on it. It was good. Um, I'm loving Ozark at the moment, but I'm not enough of the way through. But in terms of, in terms of like capturing me, I I just thought Top Boy was amazing because something as difficult as that, it could be, it could be done so badly and yet it preserves an element of reality and and realness and and uh, redeeming qualities to some of the most violent characters it, it, I've ever seen on telly. You know, like, yeah. like how can you feel sympathy towards somebody like like Kano's character, and yet you do? So it's no, it's a, it's a very it's a very impressive show and represents London brilliantly. I think. Yeah, Top Boy did a great job of representing a different side to London, but also showing that people that may be a part of certain uh, walks of life uh, in terms of like the gang side of London actually have a personal life and there's many reasons behind them going down that path, etc. cetera. Sure. Um, a, a completely different thing, and maybe Kano kind of spurred this question in my head. One question that we ask everyone that comes on the podcast is for their dream festival lineup. So if you were to go to a festival and you can pick three headliners, um, who are those headliners going to be? It's a very, very good question. Um, okay, it's going to have to tap into... The Dream Festival will tap into each element of music that I like. Okay, okay. yeah, I like that, I like that. So I will go for, simply for posterity, Oasis Reform and Ooh. and they headline the Pyramid Stage. Uh-huh. The next night we will go for... It's very difficult. This is a very good question. Uh, <laughs> it catches the people what, a lot of off guard. Yeah, what gets, <laughs> do you know what I think they'd be? They'd have to be the sort of a garage tent. They'd have to okay. be a, a, like a garage, a garage hour. So because that was when I was a kid, like that was that was the music. Anything, anything from Heartless Crew to So Solid, um, mm. all of the DJs that were involved, all of the MCs that were involved, like a, a garage Renaissance hour would be good. Dizzy, and and also like the. So somebody like Dizzy Rascal came through the garage scene, so he'd be involved yeah. in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went through a spell about 15 years ago of that kind of ravey deep house scene. So somebody like, oh, you boys are from Leeds. We'll go Miguel Campbell. I think he's, 
I think he's uh, he's a fellow Yorkshireman. But that was that you know that deep house Ibiza. Or, or, or do you know what it could be? It could be a Groove Armada live. Groove Ooh. Armada live. I'll uh-huh. go for that. Yeah. I'll go for that. Hands in hands in the air. Um, hands in the air. Sunglasses on indoors and a Larry shirt. Um, I'll go for those three. Groove Groove Armada, a garage, a garage tribute, and Liam Gallagher. Oh, okay. With an honourable mention to Alex Turner. Okay. Oh, yeah, he'd, yeah, have, yeah. To, he'd I mean, have to he'd have to get wheeled out. You know the way Alex Turner always wheels out Miles Kane. Liam Gallagher's yeah. going to wheel <laughs> yeah. out Alex Turner for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Alex Turner's going to be the support act to uh, to, 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 to the yeah. reformed Oasis. Or just exactly. Liam. Exactly. There we go. No, no, we'll go Oasis definitely. Yeah, no, Oasis, a, a class. That's an amazing pick. We've had some a, a, a very varied uh, number of picks now. We've had like Weezer, Oasis, or Groove Armada is one of the, the the most unique ones. But but yeah, some fantastic. Oh, you picks can't for go sure. wrong. Groove Groove Armada live, Groove Armada live in the right setting. So if the setting is very is perfect, right? You're you're a Monday night. You're on the space terrace of Ibiza. I think it's called High now, and Tom Finley from Groove Armada is is on the ones and twos you're, you're having a good night it's like impossible for you not to have a good night yeah that's very correct so speaking of events i know that you've been to some of the biggest sporting events uh, around the world i know you went to the super bowl last year yeah I think I did, it was. yeah, yeah? Uh, and that looked fantastic it's a dream event that i'd love to go to uh, and i know you've been to many champions league games and stuff in terms of those events is there any that stand out as one of your favorites that you've attended yeah, I mean the Champions League final for Chelsea winning in Munich was is the answer to this, but it's the answer because of the result. Like if Chelsea had won in Moscow, it'd probably be that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. But in terms of in terms of the spectacle, in terms of trying to appreciate it without my kind of tribal bias, the Super Bowl was up there. You know, the Super Bowl was good, like really good. But I like the rate. I like the horse racing. You know, I feel like the horse racing doesn't get the uh, like you know a day at Cheltenham or whatever. I love, I love that. A day at Ascot, a day at Cheltenham. That for me is is massively up there. So I've not been to horse racing much. I went once when I was younger, um, like probably really young to the point I shouldn't put this online. And my dad was like, oh yeah, you can have a fiver to put on this horse. Um, and I think one of them actually won as well, which probably led to me getting one of the old FIFA games uh, back in the day. But um, yeah, I'm certainly jealous of the Super Bowl. And I, the only Champions League games I've ever caught have, have happened to be at the Etihad. I went to a few last year. Of course, Leeds haven't um, reached those heights in my lifetime. So, and I doubt we will really. So I'd be lucky to ever see Leeds play in Europe um but I've seen City play a few times yeah I mean days like that look there's no reason why it doesn't happen I mean I can remember Leeds playing in Europe it was Valencia wasn't it they played Valencia and in the semi-final yes Um, yeah so I can I mean I certainly remember it and there's no reason why that doesn't that doesn't happen again and on some level I kind of want it to it's a it's a very difficult one uh it's a very difficult one for me with Leeds because I've Leeds are a huge rival of Chelsea and I like the rivalry and I respect the rivalry and therefore I have an antipathy towards Leeds. But equally, I like big clubs. I like clubs with proper support. I like clubs with a pedigree and a history and Leeds United are that. So by the end of last season, I kind of wanted you to go down, but then I didn't because the Premier League is a far richer, better place for having Leeds United in it. Yeah, that's a that's a fair comment. I think a lot of people love to hate Leeds. I, I, exactly. I personally think that Leeds are obviously one of the most hated teams in the country because uh-huh. we have big rivalries with Chelsea, Man United, multiple teams across the country, and even teams that we I wouldn't expect to like. Brentford fans really hate Leeds Do now because of when we went up and, yeah. and we were taking the piss, and our players were putting videos on social media yeah, taking the yeah, piss yeah, out of Brentford, yeah. and. 
Yeah, it, you've got no problem there, though, mate. I've lived in I've lived in London my entire life, and I've never met a Brentford fan, so I, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't let this one trouble you. No, it certainly won't. I literally me. don't know a Brentford fan. Have you ever met one? Uh, no, I actually I haven't. I don't think they exist, to be honest. If you, you meet a Brentford fan, up. David Attenborough is going to pop out, isn't he? Oh, this is a very <laughs> this is a very rare species. <laughs> he won't make it to the end of the week. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although weirdly, met, up north, met. I've never oh. met a Tottenham fan. Oh, like I envy could... that. I know far too many. I know, <laughs> I know. I've got my fair share of Tottenham fans. My God, I've, well, I'm from North London. Yeah, um, and and obviously Tottenham and Chelsea are massive rivals anyway, but. For me, like that rivalry is just amplified so much because pretty, I'd say, I'd say fifty percent of my mates are Tottenham fans. It's terrible. All right. Well, yeah, you have the misfortune there. Although yes. Tottenham haven't won anything in a long time, so coming, it's... no man is coming this year. <laughs> yeah, got bad I think this season. This. I was having a debate with one of my friends the other day, and he was saying that Tottenham have no chance of, of even getting in the top three. And I, I have a feeling that they actually might push for the league this season with Conte and with the smart signings that they've made so far in this transfer window. I can see them having a really good season. I agree. I think they will. No. And it's, it's torturous. So I know you mentioned being a fan of the uh, of Leeds for the fan base, etc. In terms of atmospheres in football grounds that you've witnessed or that you you maybe know of, what are some of your favourite atmospheres? I've seen a debate on Twitter the other day, and everyone was saying Portsmouth has one of the best atmospheres in the UK, a ground I've personally never visited. But what about yeah, from your point loud. of view? They can they can get rocking. Uh, it can it can go at Portsmouth definitely. Uh, Leeds is up there. Leeds Leeds is definitely up there. Goodison Park goes. Anfield, I mean, it's, it's it's trendy to say that Anfield doesn't, but Anfield does at specific times. Like a European night at Anfield, it is true. Like it is true. I've seen it. It is true that it's that it's reverberating and, and whatever. And I and I will always rate Anfield as a as a cauldron. Um, I think Old Trafford has its moments as well. Um, when we when we've played when we play Arsenal, they could be very loud at Stamford Bridge. I think home support in London particularly is is massively sanitised. Chelsea have problems. Um, but I feel like our away support is often quite vocal. But in terms in terms of the Premier League, my favourite my favorite away day, obviously Leeds weren't in it for years, but my favourite away day was always Goodison Park. Good, good old-fashioned ground. You get, uh, you get a great allocation. You can make a real racket in there. It's still very old in as much as... I remember it was wooden seats until fairly recently. And yeah. you can just make a real racket. It's a it's a beautiful ground, Goodison Park. It's a shame they're leaving. Yeah, a strange story. I've actually sat in the Chelsea away end at Goodison Park because uh, one of my mates was a Chelsea fan and he was meant to be going with his dad uh, and his dad bailed on the day. So he rang me. So I what, ended what up was the game? Can him. you remember the game? Uh, I think Everton won 4-2. So it wasn't very uh, nice sitting with the Chelsea fans. I think it was 4-2. Yeah. Right, I can't remember that. It but it was back. It was still when they had wooden chairs. It was yeah, like yeah. a few years ago. It was in like 2016. But yeah, that was a strange experience. I actually made my way down to Stamford Bridge last year as well for the cup game against. I think it was Cheltenham. Yes, we did play. Yeah, 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 yeah. You went to yeah. that, did you? Yes, yeah. I'll I, I just go to football stadiums. I was meant to be in London for a gig, and I noticed that I could get tickets for the Chelsea game, so I thought, why not go? Well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's a good. That's a good way of doing it. Just, uh, just nice and relaxed. Pop along whenever you fancy it. Yeah. So what would you say in, in terms of atmospheres across the different sporting events that you've been to? Because I know a lot of people say that American sporting fans are a lot different to how UK sporting fans are. How Would, would you say there's much of a difference there? Are they quiet, loud? No, no, there's huge, the yeah, huge, huge difference. I mean, uh, 
Oh uh, yeah, it's, it's it's totally incomparable. Like for American American NFL fans support their team in a totally different way. It's far more passive. You sit down, for example. You, I, I think it's, I think it's just what you expect. I think most people in in the UK aren't at football stadiums to be entertained. That like entertainment isn't the motivation for going mm-hmm. to watch your team win, to feel part of an atmosphere, to feel part of belonging to something. Loads of reasons representing your area, whatever. But entertainment is low on the list. Yeah. Whereas I think on from a stateside perspective, entertainment is priority number one. Like I, when I go, when I, if I want to be entertained, I'll go to the cinema, theatre, maybe. Like that's that's entertainment. When I go to Stanford Bridge, I just want my team to win. I don't care what I don't care about anything. I don't care about anything. I just care. Do we win? Do we win? I don't care about any of the any of the routes that could lead you there. Do I want entertaining football? Not especially. Uh, do I want it to be an entertaining game? Don't really care. Do I want it to be played in a fair way? Not really. If it benefits my team, um, I just want my team to win. And I don't think that is how, I don't think that's how everyone approaches football, but I think that's how a lot of people in, in the UK do. Um, but with regard to the States, I just don't think that's how, I'm, I'm talking like an aficionado here. I've been to one game, but, <laughs> but from my experience, bearing in mind it was the biggest game, the, it was the biggest game of the season in LA. LA were playing. I was sitting amongst the LA fans. There they was passion, but it was, seated passion just different right. just different and you and i think i think it's important to kind of acknowledge and respect the difference whilst not necessarily understanding it so was this was this the um super bowl with the um absolutely Bengals. amazing halftime show yes it was uh dr dre in that it yeah. was the dre one with yeah mary, mary j blige and yeah kendrick. and then uh, kendrick yeah. yeah oh i bet that was, yeah, mate, was i bet good. that was something else it was good it was it was just a brilliant day it was just such a it was just such a good day. I mean, you couldn't ask for much more, could you? You're in you're in Hollywood. LA the LA is the host city. LA have made it. You're sitting amongst the LA fans, playing against the Bengals, who are like an exciting team as well. You know, Joe Burrow and that. It's a it's a cool team. Yeah, it was it was the perfect storm. I had I had a, a sort of a, it's one of those life affirming moments, isn't it? It's a 10-pole moment of your life. You've been to a Super Bowl. There are certain things like that. Like, I, don't know, I want to go to the Kentucky Derby, but I haven't had an opportunity yet. But when I do, it will feel very special. And that's certainly how I felt about the Super Bowl. Yeah, I went to WrestleMania a few years ago, and that was a similar thing where there was like 120,000 people in a stadium and and The Rock came out and stuff, and it was yeah, just unbelievable. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My mate went to that. I think it was in Texas fairly recently. Yes, and it he was, was like, yeah. Yeah, he was like, yeah, it was one of the best things that's ever happened to him. Yeah. So I had one last question for you, Rory, seen as uh, obviously you're known as the internet's biggest Chelsea fan. I just wondered your predictions on how you think Chelsea will do this season. Chelsea will win a trophy. I've no oh. idea what, I've no idea how. I think we'll get top four. There'll be no real dramas with top four, but we need a trophy. Um, and that is, I think Chelsea will finish in the top four. We won't win the league, but we will secure a a form of silverware and maybe just maybe it's the European cup. 
Oh yeah, that'd be that'd be incredible if you managed to pull that off again. Was it, I think it was like was it two years ago? Now you won three, two, two? years ago, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pause. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a surprise for me as well. I remember when um, Lampard came in as manager and you made all these signings. You got Timo Werner, you got Kai Havertz, etc. I actually put a bet on at the start of that season for Chelsea to win the league. I think it was like eight to one. So I put like ten or twenty quid on it, thinking, "Come on, they've got a chance." And that was even with Lampard and my hatred for him, given what he did at <laughs> yeah, Derby yeah. against Leeds. <laughs> and then it didn't end up going that way. At all so it made me hit Lampard even more yeah mate I mean it's a it's a well-told story in Leeds that one isn't it there is there is genuine antipathy towards Lampard there yeah. I mean I didn't think I don't think it's possible for me to love that man anymore but if it was that would that would make me love him even more <laughs> Yeah, I remember being sat in the stadium after Derby beat us in the playoffs and Lampard coming up to my stand and pretending to cry at all I the fans. And I, like, I kind of, I, I love it at the same time in terms of like that footballing passion, but I was sat there thinking, oh, I, I'm going to hate this guy <laughs> yeah. forever now. And I've got that picture, you know, where he's sort of drying his eyes. I've got yeah. that picture saved on my phone. I say, I've got a couple of Leeds friends, uh, fans that are my mates from university. So every now and again, if they pipe up, that gets put in. I, I, just put it, I make it the icon of the group chat. Right, what a great way to end it. Anyway, Rory, thank you so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Good luck.